This is a moment. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We're up to four. Amazing, I know. Um, I'm talking this week to Chris Irvin, who is the MYP principal of Nanshan International School in Shenzhen, China. And uh, I really enjoyed hearing Chris's thoughts. He's obviously a very reflective individual, somebody who takes a lot of time to think about you know, how he uh, has his own process and how that's going to impact his school. And I can tell he's uh, someone who was maybe not born to be a teacher or a student, but has all the right qualities of a principal. And I think it's an interesting kind of conversation to have because anybody can train themselves to become something um, like a teacher or whatever. But uh, there's some innate ability, something to do with personality and style and the way people operate that, you know, I think Chris has the right balance of those things to be uh, an MYP principal and somebody who can lead a team in a way that really uh, builds up the school. So I really appreciated the opportunity to talk to him and uh, please enjoy. Looks like you're in a tropical locale, hey. Well, I just uh, put that, instead of my school, I put that in my background. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Wow. It is pretty nice. The wonders of Zoom, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm uh, in the Philippines, so there, there is that around me. Like, it's not <laughs> that it doesn't exist, but I'm just right, not living right. it. I'm in, I'm in quarantine, so that's certainly not oh, my reality you. right now. <laughs> oh, wow. So what's, what's the state of things in the Philippines at the moment? Um, I think they're doing okay. I think they were a little bit slow to react, given okay. that so close to Singapore and, and, and China and everything like that. And there's a lot of people from China who work here um, hmm. already. So I think they were a little bit slow, but I, I, I would say they got lucky and the numbers aren't that bad. Um, and now they have like seven experts from China uh, to help them advise them on how to do, you know, proper quarantines and lockdowns. And where I'm at, like we were in Manila for a month and we just, it wasn't our scene too big of a city, too crazy, too noisy, right. too loud, too stinky. And, and then we, we moved out of the city and, uh, where we're at is, you know, you, you, it's like totally different. It's like countryside type style. And, mm. and it feels, it feels very safe. Although everybody's off the streets, you know, unless you're going to get groceries, you're, you're in quarantine. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's been a quite an interesting time to see the different reactions people have around the world. So I, I was pretty much open to most of the world. Uh, and if, if you say no to China, you're saying no to like 40% of the job. So, uh, you know, I kept that door open. I was yeah. really hoping for Southern China and not, my wife's Venezuelan, so I don't know if she'd fare well in Beijing or further north. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, I mean, uh, you're in Shenzhen, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as far as China goes, I think it's one of the, the places that really stands out. Yeah. 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 I feel like I definitely lucked out that way. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's good to have you on the show. This is, this is a moment. And, uh, I wanted to talk to you today because one of the things I've noticed with my, my students and even some of my friends and my peer group, you know, uh, 
there's this sense that like we all want to achieve something we want to be a part of something bigger than just us but uh there's always this lingering question like how do we get there and i think educators in particular are constantly engaged with this on multiple levels absolutely yeah so um the kind of opening question that i'll ask is this um do you have a moment? Was there like a turning point in your life that led you to become an educator or something that changed the way you think or operate? Um, I had two moments, really. Um, one, one was to become an educator, definitely. And that was a long time ago because I'm, I'm pretty old now. Uh, and uh, that was just, it, it was like an accumulation moment. It wasn't like an aha moment. Uh, I wasn't like shoveling the snow and, and suddenly, oh, what the heck am I doing? I should be doing this. It was more like, although I had certain elements in my life that were going great, uh, I was like working at a ski area in the winter and I was, you know, uh, doing some guiding in, in the summer, be it, you know, whitewater canoeing and, and, you know, bicycling and stuff like that. So that there were some really positive things going on, but I also had other jobs that were probably paying better than those that I needed to do to keep afloat. And yet right. here I was with a, a university degree and I didn't really have a career and kind of my lifestyle was still a little bit university ish, if you know what I mean, without getting into too much details. Sure. And uh, I decided to, uh, to change that, that lifestyle and, and, and not essentially, you know, club and stuff like that um and then um and then it was like okay there's 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 a lot of opportunities now and what am I going to do and once I had made that decision um the the choice was pretty clear for me it was like yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be a PE teacher I'm gonna go to school like for teachers college and 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 pursue that because it would it it just became very clear that that was going to be an like an awesome choice I'd already been working in summer camps and, and, you know, uh, teaching skiing and, you know, other stuff like that. So it just was like, yeah, this is, this is a career that is doing a lot of the things I wanted to do anyway. So, yeah, I think that's something that I've, I've heard echoed in some of the other people I've talked to recently is that it is sort of a cumulative uh, event, you know, like a bunch of things come together and that's what, kind of drives people forward, especially in education. Um, so was there anything that you felt like uh, surprised you when you became a principal? Well, the, the journey to principal, that, was, that took a long time, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, was, um, I was in Venezuela and I was working at very comfortably, really, really satisfied with my career, my job, and I was teacher I was uh, athletic director and I was activities coordinator and wow. you know because it was a multifaceted job and the tournaments were in different locations the key, there was a fair amount of turnaround with kids every year new coaches it just felt like it was like a fresh every year it wasn't boring it wasn't old and I was into it I was loving it and I'm like you know I'd done a master's I was like really into my craft and felt like I really knew what I was doing teaching wise. And, and, uh, as far as 
you know, leading the school with, with sports that we were doing really well and all that sort of stuff. So it was, it was a really comfortable place. Um, but all the way along the line, I, you know, I had this, you know, I, you know, if I was in that position, I could probably do more and I, I'd probably do it differently. I wonder what my way would look like. And I, so I had that thing in the back of my brain. And then also a lot of people along the way were, you know, you're really good at what you do. You should, you should consider like taking that to the next level. And, you know, my thought process at that time was like, well, just because you might be good at something doesn't mean it's right for you or a good fit. But over time, you know, that kind of just wore me down. I was like, okay, I need, I need to, I need to find out. And, and then I switched over into uh, like more of an administrative role, um, like an associate principal position uh, without the, the, the credentials and whatnot to, to back it up. But, but, but a lot of the responsibilities and, and I was like, yeah, this is great. I love it. And uh, so then I did, you know, get the principal credentials and whatnot. And, and, it's, it's been, it's been really good. It's been a great, a great change. If I'd known that before, it's like, <laughs> I would have done that earlier. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah. think, uh, yeah, many people go through this where they, they have what it takes, but the timing doesn't quite match up or maybe the motivation isn't there or they're just not sure yet. And I think yeah. there's something about when it all comes together that maybe that is a sort of moment. <laughs> um, well, and I definitely had an aha moment on that as ah. well. You know, so here I was, I was at the school that I'd been at for many years. I had a lot of loyalty for this school and, right. and we were in a, uh, we were, you know, I was on a, a recruitment committee to pick the next principal. Ah. So we had, we had three top, we'd narrowed it down from a, you know, whatever, 20 to 10 to, and then we're down to top three candidates. And and our number, our number one candidate was somebody who had already worked at the school and I actually knew personally. So that, that person aside, we were looking at that one and our number two candidate. And our number two candidate was literally me. It just had to change the picture and it was me. And it was wow. just like, and I was just like, wow, this is like, you know, here I am. We've already done all this. I'm, I'm sitting at the table. It wasn't the appropriate time to... <sighs> bring up that can of worms if you know what yeah. I mean. wouldn't, wouldn't have been yeah. professional at all um but i was just it was like big for me i was just like wow that could be me but you know i didn't have the paperwork at the time to you know support that that would be me but other other than him having you know a certain level of uh you know principal certification that it was me it was like completely me and i've since right. met that person uh, he ended up taking a job somewhere else that I conversations about how how similar our our lives and our paths have been in the in the end. Yeah, yeah. that's really yeah. interesting. I, I think that's that's something that I've noticed too in in recent like in recent months, really, because I've taken on a kind of a very different role than what I usually do. I mean, I've either been on the product side of education companies or just a teacher. And now I'm doing okay. this blend with, you know, curriculum development and teaching and designing classrooms and all this stuff. And uh, what I've noticed is that I talk to people who have like a similar or the same job title as me and their experiences and paths come, they just come from everywhere. 
Some people were mm -hmm. artists for a long time and it just kind of fell into teaching as a side gig and eventually worked their way up. Other people did this right out of college and I'm sort of somewhere, I guess, in the middle. Um, so if you had any advice, say, for like your younger self, what would you, what would you say? <clears throat> what would I say to my younger self? Oh, I don't know. It, it's kind of like they're, they're I, I think they're fighting uh, things in, in many ways. I would say travel more mm. and I would say save earlier. So they, they, they got, <laughs> you know, because I, I know I'll be working until I'm 70 now uh, okay. just because, you know, I want to make sure my kids go to college and have those opportunities right. and all that sort of right. stuff. And, and uh, the, you know, although part, part of my, my comfort and, and, you know, why I was so happy in, in, in the job that I was in for many years, that I, I had some lean years in that time where I was, I was a local hire. So right. I was, you know, and, and that was, that was very, very, very tough financially during that, that period. Like not, not, not tough. I couldn't eat just, there's no college savings program going on during those years, uh, yeah. if you know what I mean. So, yeah, um, yeah. so, and, and, and yet, you know, here I was, I was, you know, in South America and, and I did travel and I did go to, you know, conferences. So I got to experience other countries, but I didn't travel for pleasure outside uh, of Venezuela as much as I would have liked and and mm. you know now that we're in Asia we've already we've already been in two different countries and it's like and it's been so easy and I'm like just I don't know why I didn't travel more when I was there of course the very end there got very difficult to travel out of Venezuela but that's another story <laughs> uh, yeah I, I guess uh, that is a can of worms as well I suppose yeah yeah, yeah. Um, well I, I think there's do you mind talking about it a little bit? Um, because I, sure. I think Absolutely. maybe some of my students aren't familiar with, with the situation in, in Venezuela and how things have gone, especially in the past couple of years. Okay. Um, well, I guess in a nutshell, you have um, one of the world's richest um, countries in terms of seven different um, ecological specific areas like all the way from sand dunes all the way to tropical rainforests all the way to andes mountains like with glacier year round and you're very close to the equator mm -hmm. beaches and mountain rainforest so you have this really amazing diversity within a, a pretty small it's like the size of texas or smaller so it, it's wow. it's not tiny but it's 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 you know it's not china it's not big like that um, mm. it's not costa rica tiny but it's so that's, there's a lot, though, in that country that's amazing. Uh, so yeah. you have all this tourism opportunity or potential, but it's, it's, it's been stifled for over 20 years. Um, and the focus has just been on petroleum. And they do have the world's largest proven reserves. But because of the management of the negotiations with other organizations and everything, they've, dri they've driven away a lot of the business. And, and mm -hmm. you know, that's a mono economy is not a good idea to begin with. And sure. they put everything in one basket and it, you know, it, it's not just, it's not a healthy place to be, especially if you're not able to manage those relationships with other uh, companies and countries to, to, you know, if that's what you want to do, if you want to extract your oil, then you have to have 
good partnerships to be able to do that and they don't right now so the economy is is hurting the people are hurting there's there's no trickle down there's no ripple effect uh and there's you know other problems too but in a nutshell without going too too dark and deep i think that paints a similar like the right picture that i want to paint yeah yeah well thank you yeah i think um especially for students in China, I feel like what you said earlier about like travel more, travel as much as you can and learn from those experiences. Like that's, that's something that I really hope they get the opportunity to do. And, and my students, I think are fairly fortunate as I'm imagining yours are and that they've probably traveled a little already. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, we have a very strong week without walls program. And, and I, I got to go on it for, with one, one class in, in November and it was great. Uh, we went to the uh, area outside of Xiamen. So we got to experience Xiamen a little bit and a lot going on there. And yeah. yeah, it was really nice. Went to the, like a really famous uh, Buddhist temple and it was very mm. cool. And then, uh, you know, tried a bunch of different cuisine from the area, which was cool too. And then we went to the area where the, the Tulos are which are these sort of round fortresses, essentially. And that's, they were the Hakka people who came from uh, northern China uh, and, and they were displaced because they were like, you know, bandits and whatnot and all that sort of stuff. And these people but by the thousands came to that area. And it's a tea growing area. So we learned all about the tea rituals in China and, and we learned about these people who built these houses for protection and communal living and, you know, the power of the group and stuff like that. It was just really, really cool. And most of the kids, you know, they might've, you know, they might've been to Singapore and they might've been to Australia or, or something in Japan or whatever, but they haven't done that kind of stuff. And they haven't, you know, lived in, in similar, you know, accommodations to what those people live in and, and, you yeah. know, it, it's not like we were, we had running water and toilets and beds and it was fine, but it, you know, it's not what they're used to uh, for sure. Right. So it was, it was really cool to experience that with them and eat all the local food in, sure. in all its local flair. It was great. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's one of the things I love about China is the, the diversity here is unbelievable. I mean, geographic diversity and the climates that you can get all around the country. And then also the individual groups, I mean, more than 50 ethnic groups, right? So it's, oh, yeah. Yeah. it's a, quite a divergence of different cultures. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'd like to ask you a little bit about, about your school. Like how did, it, was this the first time that you had come to China? Yes. Yeah. First time okay. I came to China. So um, one of the cool things about, you know, a, being a principal is, is you actually get to go do a site visit and there's usually a, a panel, a face-to-face interview and, and, and all that. Uh, sometimes they'll interview multiple people, um, right. but they, they tend to want that for principals face-to-face. And it would be great if all teachers got that, you know, maybe, maybe yeah. at some schools they do, but that's like a, you know, a different level or whatever. But uh, sure. so we wanted to make sure it was a good fit for us, just like it would be a good fit for the school, you know? So, you know, I went with my wife and, and, um, you know, you're, you're a little bit of wind and dined through that process, but you're there for five days. So you do, you know, you can't polish it all. You know, you do get to see a, a school and it's in its, you know, in its core and, and you're able to, mm. to go through the cafeteria and, and have, have lunch with the kids and 
pop into any class you want. Like I had carte blanche, so it was great. So I got to be, you know, all over the place and really check it out, check out the area around the school. And I was like, yeah, you know, because we, you know, a lot of people don't understand China. They like, oh yeah, karate kid. And yeah, it's going to be cool. But they don't really know. And there's, and yet there's a lot of fear as well. And, and, and it, it helped us a lot. So, I mean, that, that, that experience was, you know, very, you know, very, it made it much easier for us to make that decision. You know, we, we were during that process, even before we, you know, may, you know, gotten a final offer. We were like, you know, could we do this? Could we, yeah, we could do this. Yeah, this would be great. You know, no problem. And will we good for kids? Yeah. I got two middle schoolers or well, seventh and ninth grade MIP. And oh, uh, would it be good for them? And it'd be, yeah, for sure it will be. Yeah. Well, that's, that's excellent. Yeah. I think that's a great practice to bring people out when possible, you know, have yeah. them take a look around. And I think it shows, um, you know, I think it shows a level of confidence from the school that is something that at least I would find really reassuring. You know, they're saying like, come here, take a look at whatever, and just form your own opinion. I think we try and do that with like, if speaking from a recruitment perspective, we do try and do that as well with, with, with our, I guess you have to live vicariously through other people, but, but once we get candidates in the final stage where, you know, we'd like, we'd like, we'd like them to accept the offer we've made, we still want to make sure it's a good fit for them. So we put them in contact with, you know, some people, these are people who aren't, you know, on bad terms with the school, obviously. So, you know, in some way it's, it's a little bit, you know, you're not going to choose somebody who's going to be, but if, if they, if they, if they ask to speak to somebody who's leaving, uh, then we would do that too, you know, and they, they can ask, you know, why are you leaving? And we want to be transparent and, you know, we don't know what those answers are going to be and it's confidential. We don't ask, uh, but th- that way these, you know, the, the people coming in get, get that sort of um, perspective from, from the, the first hand, you know, it's important. Yeah, definitely. So has there been um, some major, you know, changes or differences that you've noticed between, you know, teaching and working in Venezuela and working in China? Yeah, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. Yeah, Yeah, a lot. Um, And, you know, I feel still very, very new to China and very, very new to the cultural nuances and the differences and, and, and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and, you know, just cause they're different doesn't mean they're better or worse. You know, they're just different. Right. One of the, one of the things was, was perception and presentation is extremely important. Uh, I've since found out in China and, and, um, the substance and the quality behind that isn't, I mean, it, you know, it, it will reveal itself anyway, but, um, but it, if it's not presented well or it looks good, hmm. there's, there's almost a dismissal right away. Like it doesn't even get to, to the, an, the deeper analysis of whether or not there's substance behind it. It's just discarded. Like I said, Oh, that can't be good. You know, just hmm. like, for example, like a, if you, put something out in word and just keep it basic. And it's just like a letter too. That's not going to be nearly well as received as if something is done in like some sort of program where there's, you know, 
pictures and imagery and a, maybe a QR code to scan and da, da, da. You do that and then you'll, then you'll get attention and respect from the message that you're sending. It's not really about the content. They'll, mm. Then they'll look at the content and, and they'll decide whether or not that that's good or not. But if you haven't gone that, gone that way, you don't even really get that chance, unfortunately. Yeah. So that's, that's something I'm, you know, learning the hard way, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's, that's something that when uh, sometimes people ask me about whether there are opportunities for them in China, and, and usually the answer is yes, but one of the things that I tell them is that the learning curve is kind of steep here. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of places where you could go there and you'd be almost like, you, you'd be perfectly aware you're in another country, but you wouldn't feel totally out of place necessarily, or the culture shock wouldn't get you right away. But I think what I've noticed with teachers here is when they land, they're immediately just like, oh, okay. It's a different thing out here. It's a different system. People have different you know, operating styles. And I think there's challenges with that, but there's also great opportunities in particular for teachers. Um, so have you noticed that there are any benefits maybe to, to learning and living internationally? for teachers? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For teachers. I mean, it's a different world. I mean, um, you know, you, you have, I would say, you know, in general, better behaved students than you would in North America. Mm. Sorry guys. That's, I mean, if there's North American kids watching this, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. That's my personal experience. Um, you have better resources. Uh, you might not have, you know, the gym, the classic thing, you know, with, with the stands and, you know, all that sort of stuff. You might not have that maybe at your school, like depends on your school, but you'll have the, you'll have the teaching resources that you need as far as pushing the education forward. So you'll have whatever tech resources you need or, or, or whatever, if, if you know, access to photocopiers or, or spreadsheets or, or, or smart boards or whatever it is that, that side, you'll definitely have out the yin yang. You might not have, uh, you know, uh, a visiting team's locker room or something like that, like you would in, in you know, Texas for the football team or, or, or you know, the, the AD's got his little golf, golf cart he's driving around or something. You know, you might not have those things, but if it's yeah. about education, you'll have it. You'll have it and you'll have it better than you will in the States. And that's including even uh, many, many charter and private schools as well. Um, right. when, it, when it comes to the education, they're putting the money forward as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that, um, you know, I wasn't really prepared for coming to China. I, I sort of had this vision that it would be like a much more kind of, uh, stable and developed Cambodia. Cause that's where I taught before. I expected like an evolution of that, but actually yeah. it's like far more advanced than any school that I went to in the United States in terms of technology. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, there's certain advantages to that, but as a teacher and as a principal, there's always this sense that we have to balance how much we're using the technology and parents are thinking about this more and more, especially in China. Um, are these uh, conversations that you've had at your school about finding a balance with the electronics and technology? You, you know what? I, I think they were starting, if, if I could say that, because I mean, I just got here in August, so I think they were starting, but there wasn't there wasn't really um, a venue or a community or anything like that as far as, as 
anything formal, at least at our school in that process. But the online learning has certainly put it into the front, forefront. And, and right. you know, I, I'm living it with my kids. So I know right. exactly how much time they're spending online. And I know we are, you know, academically speaking, like the end number. So I, and I know one, one of my, my, my sons takes longer than the other to learn. So he's going to need more time on the screen uh-huh. and that's fine. Uh, and, you know, he gets it. But finding balance in the online learning environment and, and still, you know, achieving at, you know, the, the, at, the, at the, the pace or the level that they want to achieve is it's, it's been eye-opening. It really has, not just for me, but for the parents too. And they're like, you know, uh, and the students, we did student surveys and, you know, um, you know, the, the complaints, my butt hurts and my eyes hurt and I want to get off and yeah. I don't have any time to play, and, you know, yeah. I get it. And, and it's true and it sucks. And we actually, it took us a while to get there, to get the right formula, uh, because I don't know if you've ever seen that uh, video of, of, of building an airplane in the sky. Have you ever seen that? No. I'll, I'll send you that link after it's hilarious. I mean, it's, you know, something that basically, you know, we had teachers all over the world, Chinese new year, students all over China and the world and some of them without their devices and boom, we're going online. What? You know? Right. So we were not really prepared for it. Yeah. No one was. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. In, in, yeah it, was, it really caught China hard. The rest of the world, if they didn't get ready for it, you know, that's on them. <laughs> because yeah. there were certainly, a, you know, a big warning when they locked down Wuhan. Right, 90, yeah. 90 million people yeah. in that state no, got I mean, locked down, so. Exactly, right? I mean, that was a, a minimum. Everyone on Earth pretty much had a, a one-month warning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And most yeah. people had two months. So it's... Yeah. It's hard to imagine. But the thing that I always struggle to kind of to, I don't know, maybe justify or understand in my in my mind is like, I know it's probably a little better or different now in my schools, uh, you know, where I attended school in, in the US. But if this had happened, when I was going to any of those schools, including for university, making the move the shift into online learning would have been uh, like an unbelievable colossal undertaking. Like I'm not yeah. even sure that they would have been able to do that. And to see uh, the, you know, there's mixed results. It's still a work in progress and all that. But the fact that China kind of got like millions and millions of students just online like that to learn yeah. is really yeah. impressive. Yeah, it, it is. Um, yeah. The, I mean, you know, of course, you know, our parents, we're an IB school, so they will compare what the learning is happening in the public schools to what we're trying to yeah. do. And, and we're, yeah. we're not trying to do the same thing. We're really not. You know, we're yeah. not about worksheets and it's not about just providing an, uh, you know, an opportunity for the student to sit from a screen for an hour and listen mm-hmm. to the teacher talk. You know, like that's right. really not at all what it's about so you know we're about investigation and research and critical thinking and we want you to dive deep and 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 you know that's not going to happen if 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 you're listening to me talk you know so uh we're we're struggling with that because they they do compare to what other people and other families and friends and stuff are doing and what we offer is a very different product and and 
and we're under, you know, we're under the gun right now. And, you know, some of it's warranted, I'm sure. Uh, and then, but much of it is probably not just because it's not what we do at the school. It's, it's, it's an IB school and, you know, yeah. it's, not, it's not how it's, you know, s- sitting there listening to s- six teachers in a row for an hour mm-hmm. is not what we do at school either. Right. Right. You know, it's just not how it works. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I but, think that's, yeah. it's a really tough, it's a tough thing to explain because like you said, they can look at the other schools where that's the standard and mm. that's being delivered online. And it's, you know, in some ways only marginally different from what they would get in the classroom anyways. But IB has so much more of a demand on the students in terms of developing their cognitive abilities and pushing themselves to, you know, like you said, be critical thinkers and, you know, employ all those, uh, the learner profile attributes and things like that. Exactly. So are there any things that you found that you think uh, maybe are going to become more prevalent for online learning, Um, like any platforms or methods or something like that? Well, we tried to keep it as simple as possible. I mean, in Venezuela, we had, like, I'm coming from a background of, we've been doing online learning for the last 10 years. Okay. And it's been anywhere from a day or two, because we would have practice days scheduled into our year to, mm. you know, somewhere between, you know, a week or two, where we'd have some sort of political unrest or, or, or some sort of circumstance sure. like that, where we were, we needed it. And we had, you know, all the alternative uh, communication tools and all that sort of stuff, um, kind of like using WeChat, but massive groups and, you know, the, because systems would fail in Venezuela as well. So, um, you know, we also couldn't necessarily count on, even on Wi-Fi. So we had packages, old school packages in your hand wow. that we, we could use as a backup and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, my background was quite different. And then... Um, so bringing that into this was, 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 you know, was challenging because a lot of people wanted to still run school like it was run if we were in school, brick and mortar, like let them go through the classes and let them do that. And, and, you know, I got kind of outvoted and it was like, you know, I, I could have put my foot down, you know, because I'm the principal, but it's like, geez, they're okay. Uh, you know, it's, maybe these kids can handle it because you know the, the academic rigor i think is 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 higher in china than in yeah. venezuela kids work harder they're they're uh they're more on track i would say in 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 general in general it's not like a huge difference but it is it, there's a noticeable difference so it's like okay well I'll just defer to your collective experience and we tried that and it, you know really didn't work but we didn't uh we didn't switch um formats or anything we, you know everything was um uh we, we can't use google so we don't have google classrooms or anything like that but we have you know 365 and we use that to some teachers more than others as far as full potential and we're, we're actually looking at how we can use it more effectively in the future um we like many schools adopted zoom um uh, yeah and you know and there was free i'll give zoom props for that um, and it, you know, it's a, it's a decent tool. We could use something else, but people liked it. And, you know, you're going to try and go with least resistance, but that, that's kind of thing. Um, there's stuff that's in 365 that we could have used, but not as uh, easy to learn for, uh, for somebody, 
remotely with no with not the same tech support that they would normally get and no physical online like physical in training you know where you can sit there and click with them and you know really because you got you got people who are older than me and you know they got they got to learn it too so um so and then now i tell you i guess to take it full circle the balance, you know, what can we do offline while online running? That's, that's like my new um, challenge to help teachers figure out what can we do that is online learning that's offline. And for example, May 1st, we're going to do an offline day, but there's still going to be all kinds of learning happening. Uh, it's just not going to be with your device. And, and we have, we've been, you know, been planting seeds all along and sharing articles and, you know, things like that and blog sources and whatnot. And, um, but I, I'm also cognizant of bombarding teachers with too much information because they, they, you know, right. uh, you don't want to reinvent the wheel while you're building the plane in the sky, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like that expression and uh, I'm excited to see the video now, but, uh, I, my, uh, design classes each year, they start with, um, the class building like paper airplanes that have different oh, cool. features and functionalities. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons I did that was like, it's fun and it's accessible. And when you start building a paper airplane, people get it right away. They're like, Oh, give me paper. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the things that I found really difficult in the online teaching environment is, is that sort of thing, like just inviting people to, enjoy the time and engage, you know, I mean, in in China, I'd say students are quite a bit more reserved, especially you get to like the beginning of middle school. And then it just, it sort of becomes the slope of they become more and more reserved up until sometime in high school. And then some of them kind of snap out of it, but uh, it's hard when you're trying to get that, that give and take or trying to make the class fun for the students. That's interesting. I mean, many of my, my students, or sorry, my teachers were, were saying that after, because we, we didn't have mandatory Zooms at first. And then, uh. you know, uh, I, I, we needed it. Um, I'm not saying it wasn't like it wasn't not an oversight or anything. We just weren't there yet. You know, right. we were building the plane. First thing is, you know, what, what can we what can we get the kids working on while we can figure out what the plan is kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, and, 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 and when we got there, you know, some teachers adopted the zooms right away or, or whatever, another format or tool, but, yeah. and they, they wanted that, you know, contact with their, with their, their students and the others were happy that it was just, you know, more like assigned homework and, and here's your instructions. And, and, you know, we did need that, that, that human interaction and zoom helps, right. helps, helps with that. But at first, a lot of them were like, you know, I'm asking questions and nobody's raising their hands. Nobody's asking anything. It's just like you can hear the crickets and like, you know, I, I got nothing left. I, I, I explained it all. They, they didn't have any questions. I showed them my screen. Da, da, da. It's like, you know, and, and then so we've since allowed for like the breakout groups and the after time where you can stay behind and ask one-on-one or in small groups. And I think that's been beneficial, but even they've, they've had to relearn how to like learn with their teacher in the, in a, in a new classroom setting. It's the same kids they know each other, but it's, it's a different venue. And now, and now like, I guess they're worried they're going to get 
you know, screenshotted while they're like, eh, or something, you know, and, and then, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, I'm sure by now they must have a thousand screenshots of me. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, especially sometimes my, I'm working on a laptop that's going on about six years. So it's, you know, there are times when I'll be like, all right, next slide. And then there it goes. You know, it just takes yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple extra seconds. So, and, and, you know, in the classroom, that's kind of amusing to me because I'm like, usually it doesn't happen, but when you're online, it feels like there's this little added pressure. I don't know. Um, sure. Well, and the three seconds turns and felt feels like six or eight, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's dead air time as they say in yeah. radio. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in your, in your uh, like early experiences as, as a student, um, if you mind going back in the way back machine and talking about that, like, <laughs> do you feel like, uh, did you feel like you, you had this idea that you might be a teacher or that you'd be working to help train or prepare people? Oof. Uh, no, I, I, I was pretty directionless, uh, for, for, for quite a few years, actually. Uh, I went from, uh, eighth grade being, um, athlete of the year to not doing a sport in ninth grade. Uh, so I had, a, you know, a lot going on in my personal life and my family life at that time. And, and, you know, so high school, if I could go back to that, um, was, was, was a sort of rudderless time for me. I, I did not have a good direction and I, 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 I got out of that sort of spiral at least and, and, and started to do more positive things, but, and I was able to get into university, which is good, but it, it was, it was just through, uh, I don't know, locking myself in the room uh, a couple hours every day and just powering through it, but not, not really enjoying it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and I, I'm, I'm kind of like my, one of my kids, I, you know, I take a little bit longer. Uh, mm -hmm. So what, what somebody else can do in four minutes might take me an hour, an hour and 20 minutes. And, and, you know, I'll still be able to do it and do good quality. It just, I don't know, just takes me longer, get distracted, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, learning how to cope with, with, the, with those sort of things as you get older, you get better at it. And um, the, the longer I went into my university, like my undergrad compared to my, my teacher's college compared to my master's, it just, it, it, like, I just got better and better at learning. And, and so that's cool. You know? You, yeah. That's something that I, I, I think I've probably told this story before. <laughs> but um, uh, for anyone who's listening to previous episodes and to this one, um, there's a friend of mine who who had a real difficulty with reading when he was young, and it took him finding books that he really wanted to read. Like he knew that there was something in that book that was going to get him interested in the story and it was going to hook him and he was going to power through. And and that's what ended up you know making all the difference. He found these books in series and ultimately like fantasy novels, you know, some of them are like a thousand pages and there's 20 books. So, you know, if you can read those, you've got serious ability there. Um, yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, that was something that it took him a really long time to be able to do. And I sort of came at it from 
the opposite side of that where reading came fairly naturally to me early on and actually got harder as time progressed. I became more like interested in other things. And uh, I think to some extent that's become a, a form of, of advantage um, in that, you know, I can pull different information and different resources, different knowledge out of different circumstances, but it wasn't an easy process and it took a long time to like find the right balance. Um, I think my students oftentimes feel like if they're not good at something right now, they'll never yeah. be good at it. Yeah. And I worry about that because I, you know, I'll tell them, I'll say like, no, you have everything you need. You, if you continue practicing, you continue doing what you're doing right now, you will get better and you'll see improvements. And some, some students respond to that, but others, you know, it doesn't mean anything to them or they just, it just sort of floats by them. So do you have any thoughts about how to reach students like that and give them, you know, some better support, better opportunities? Well, first, let me talk about my book. I, 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 I had that, that yes. moment, if you will. Uh, it was Dr. No by Ian Fleming. That's James Bond, if yeah. you don't know. Yeah, this so the, that, was, the first one? that was my hook, finally. And, yeah. I, you know, I was uh, a young teen. I might not even been a, I might have been a tween even. I don't remember exactly. But that was my hook, and that helped me, I don't know, like reading, I guess, you know, I, it's not that I didn't like reading Dr. Suits with my mom and all that cool stuff. And, you know, right. I could read, I just, I just wasn't into reading. My sister could read Lord of the Rings in a weekend and I like couldn't get through the first chapter, you know, <laughs> even though I loved it, I just, like, yeah, oh, yeah. it's just so heavy, man. And my head hurts, you know, whereas <laughs> yeah, I yeah. needed something that would, I don't know, be more in my wavelength. So don't give up. It'd be one of my things. Don't give up. Don't give up before the magic happens, you know? And the other thing I guess I would say is it's kind of like, I don't know, um, you know, like basics, you know, you, you, if you stick with the basics, you never have to go back with them. Mm. So like, if you think of the, like diet and stuff like that, like eating healthy and stuff like that, okay, you, you, you're not going to win, you know, Mr. Universe or, or Miss Fitness America, whatever, anything like that. Um, but, but you're not going to end up in the hospital and you're not going to have problems and you're not going to have to go on all these crazy diets because you're just eating sensibly. Just stick yeah. with the basics. So if you stick with the basics and if you stick with whatever that basics are for learning or, you know, if it, if it, if it, if it's, it has to do with design, you know, with you know, keep trying, keep playing with it. You know, don't worry, you have what you need. If it's a design specific thing, you, you, and you'll see the improvement. You have to trust the process. And, and so that would be my, I guess, my three things. Don't give up before the magic happens. Stick with the basics and then just trust the process. You know, the, the person who's giving you that advice knows what they're talking about. Give them the benefit of the doubt and, and just carry, carry a few, you know, it's, it's the next day. Okay, just just do you know one more day, one more day, one more day, you know. Yeah, wow, I, I love that. Those are three great points, and and especially like the last one about um, you know trust the process. This is something uh, I kind of created my own metric for for evaluating students, and it's been totally impossible to explain it because they're like, 
but it's not a grade, right? And I'm like, it's no, no, <laughs> it's just meant to help you. Uh, it's it helps you, it helps me, but it's not a grade per se. And they're like, okay, I don't want any part of this if it's not a grade. <laughs> but essentially, it's just like a score sheet that sort of tallies what your behaviors are in terms of things that lead to progress, right? So I, yeah. I refer to things as by progression, right? And that's what yeah. I expect from my students and why, you know, sometimes students will come up to me, they'll be like, this guy got like a seven. He doesn't, that shouldn't be a seven. I should have a seven. I have a five. And I'd be like, yes, but you're much better at this than he is. You know, if we're talking about skill development, I need to see clear progress, for example. Um, and, and they always get it when it's in the context of IB, but once I take it and abstract it out into life generally, it seems to, it seems to become a little more difficult to explain. Um, so hmm. outside of school, I mean, I know that uh, for some kids here in China, there is no outside of school. That's all they do. They're in school and then they go to a cram school or they go to a, a language school or something like that. And they're taking lessons all the time. But when they're not in the, the academic environment, what do you think is like, what are good habits for kids to be engaged in? Well, I mean, that's one of the definite things I love of the IB is, you know, we're, 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 we're all about the balance. Eh? Uh, so whether, you know, whether your passions are, are music or, or sports or whatever, you, you should be spending some time every day in that, um, especially as, as you get up and older. Um, and it's okay, you know, when you're, when you're younger and you're in sixth and seventh grade, it's okay to explore all kinds of stuff, start this, quit this, start something else, quit something, you know, like that's, that's all fine. That's normal. That's, mm -hmm. that's healthy. Don't yeah. worry about that. I have parents who were freaked out because their kids not, you know, into something already. And like, you know, yeah. you know, concert pianist or whatever yet, uh, relax. Like yeah. they're young. They got lots of time, you know, give them, give them the balance, give them the opportunity, keep providing the opportunity. Sometimes we have to be a little bit, uh, you know, forceful in that. Uh, I, I think of my own kids, sometimes I like, I wish I would have been, you know, more, no, well, you're going to do it because you've signed up and I'm not going to let you quit of it. You know, like uh, I, I must say, but, um, or if you're going to do that, then what are you going to do? Like, don't let them get out until there's a, like another plan, you know, like mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, Right. Anyway, um, so yeah, th yeah, that that's definitely the balance thing is great, and and some parents have even called me on it because I'm the guy who decides whether or not those absences are excused, you know. Ah. And they're like, "Oh, but she's doing a concert for blah blah blah," and I'm like, "Very good, excellent. You're absolutely correct. I'm my apologies. Right. You know, I'm thinking I'm I'm not." I'm new in the IB in this and, and I'm not thinking that I'm thinking, Oh, well, this isn't the school. So it's unexcused. And we're, we're really, if we're going to walk the walk, talk the talk and put our money where our mouth is, then that's an excused absence. You know, as, right. as long as it's within reason, you know, like it's not like 13 days. Uh, sure. You know, we have a, you know, a policy and a guideline and all that to follow. But, you know, my default would be like, oh, not a school event, not school sanctioned, you know, not, not excused, you know, but mm. really not everything is in the school. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, I, I think that one of the things that I didn't understand as a kid, but that I look back on and I think like I was really lucky in that way was that I did have like 
a life outside of school. You know, there were certainly days where I'd go home and I'd have four hours of homework and, you know, it'd be like 11 PM and I'd be like, Oh, wow. I'm just out of time. Like <laughs> it's just all, <laughs> it's all gone. Now I'm going to school in a few hours. So I just got to go to sleep. Um, but there were also days where I would get home and I'd do an hour of homework maybe. And then I'd go play tennis with friends or, uh, you know, whatever. I would just sit and try to get my cat to eat ravioli, you know, like whatever, whatever it was I was spending my time doing. Um, <laughs> my cat loved ravioli. I have no idea what that was about, but <laughs> like Chef um, Boyardee, the canned one, uh, you know, it was there. We have the, are you familiar with Trader Joe's? They had, yeah. Yeah. So they, they had these like packages. I think they were like two fifty for like a bag of, you know, like really bare bones kind of tortellini, just, uh, yeah, yeah, you okay. know, dried into oblivion. And even when you cook them up, they're sort of like, Oh, it's okay. Uh, but I love them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it was exactly. just like, it yeah. was just, uh, something about it, you know, and she didn't, yeah, she didn't like, you know, uh, you know, like chicken and stuff. I tried to give her chicken and she'd be like, Oh man. But ravioli, she was crazy about it. So, yeah, interesting. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think there's, uh, there's a lot of different formats that people have used around the world to try to figure out, like, what is our academic program going to look like? And mm. IB is one of the few where you can kind of mold it around almost anything else. You know, I yeah. mean, uh, the Chinese national curriculum is a perfect example of something where it really conflicts only in very rare circumstances. Is this something that your school does as well? Are you using a hybrid of those two systems? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the IB is a framework. It's, it's not really, you know, like a prepackaged curriculum or it's not even, you know, you know, a list of, uh, of outcomes or expectations necessarily right. in, 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 you know, sort of like the normal sense of the word like standards like mm. i came from a stand my last school my prior to this was a standard-based school in, in elementary so when you reported you reported exactly on the standard and how the kid was progressing in that standard you know right. whether they were mastered or learning or whatever you know um and and so it was very linear and very you know almost robotic you know in in, yeah. in a sense yeah um but accurate too as well kind of like to a fault in, in, in a mm. way, whereas the, the IB is, is more, you know, take whatever you got and do all this with it and try and mm -hmm. make your own unique product with it. And, you know, we're right. a Canadian curriculum, so we're using the New Brunswick curriculum. So students will graduate with a New Brunswick diploma, uh, even oh. if they're not able to, uh, you know, complete the full DP program. Because, yeah. you know, like not everybody is. It's, it's really hard, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so they can still graduate from our school um, and, and still, still have that. They'll still take uh, IB courses in, mm -hmm. in, in final years uh, and, and, you know, they'll benefit from that style of learning, definitely. Uh, and they'll still be able to go to college, which is cool, university, you know, like they'll, they'll be fine. Um, what happens is when, you, when you're in the, the, you know, you have the full DP diploma, is you know your resume or your application sits at the top of the pile as opposed to you know bottom of the pile or middle of the pile depending on right. you know your right. gpa or or your overall average and all that other stuff um 
And that, that's just one metric though, is just, you know, the, 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 the pure grading sense. Um, I, you know, the collaboration within teachings, the teachers, like, it, I, I don't, I don't know how it would work if it was really small school in your IB where you're, you know, you know, like, like you are the social studies department or whatever for seventh through 12th grade, you know, cause yeah. there are schools like that. Right. Um, sure. If that's, there's no collaboration, but in our school with, you know, a fairly decent sized MIP program, we have, you know, usually three or four teachers on each section. So they, there's overlap within, within the teaching. So you don't only teach seventh grade uh, individuals in society, for example, you teach one class, somebody else teaches another class and somebody yeah, else teaches yeah, yeah. another class. And then you guys reflect on the right. assessment and, and then you improve it. And so what, that's what I like about it too, is you're taking your, your plan and you make it better each year. Mm. So it just gets better. And, and that's, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the, the great advantages there of, of having that freedom, that flexibility, you know, um, like I, I can teach people for maybe six weeks, eight weeks, a year, possibly about watercolor. But if you ask me about oil color, I'll be like, I don't know, wait for it to dry. Like, it's going to take a long time. I don't know. It's not my thing. Um, <laughs> but other teachers, that's their medium. That's what they use to express themselves. And so when you have a team and you have people who can kind of tr trade in and out, that provides a lot of like real tangible benefits, you know, for the students and for the teachers, I think. And then I think also what I like about it is then they're also living and breathing in doing IB yeah. in their own reflective practice. Yes, you know? exactly. And, and yeah. so they, they're walking the walk, you know, they, they're really into it. Like you're, you're fully submersed in yeah. when you're in the IB and then it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, there's been, I'd say a, a push in China for, um, alternative education or holistic education, but that meets with a lot of resistance from people because I think although there's the, the demand for it, when they experienced it in person, a lot of times they're not able to quite to identify what they're seeing. You know, I mean, I went to a charter high school after having gone to like maybe the most middle of the pack kind of like standard middle school in, in San Francisco. And it was kind of eye opening because I was like, oh, wow, people are like walking around and talking to each other normally. <laughs> it, it's not what I was used to from a middle school where everything was so intense, you know, um, so it, it, are there conversations or events that you put on where you're talking to the parents, trying to kind of guide them in a sense through, through this process? Well, we, we do workshops uh, to sort of, you know, get them up to speed to as far as, you know, um, you know, the transition from PYP to MYP, um, big, you, you know, what that's all about, why language acquisition is just a name and it's okay. I mean, if you're going to be a, uh, you know, uh, if you're going to be a scientist, do you need to be studying literature? Mm. Why is that going to be better for your kid? Why are you so adamant that they need to be in language and literature? If you want your kid actually to be an engineer and do this, they will learn how to read just fine. 
they will be able yeah. to understand a, a medical textbook or whatever it is, they'll be great. It's going to be fine. Uh, and, and they get so hung up on the, on the label here and, and thinking that this is better than that. It's not better. This is better for your kid right now in where they are in their learning trajectory. So that's why we want to do that. So, um, so that's just one example of that particular thing. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of different things to the MYP, the community project, the, the personal project. There's all kinds of opportunities that we have where we're trying to get that partnership going with the parents about understanding. I, was, I, I interviewed a student today, fantastic student. Well, it's actually, I'll take that back. Average student, good attitude and, you know, not scared of hard work and whatever, but not like an A, solid A student or anything like that. Amazing parent, amazing parent, knew about IB, knew what she wanted, knew, knew that this would be good for her son, knew why he, you know, was struggling from his transition from primary to secondary, understood those, was, you know, supportive of the concept of you know attending workshops whatever so i see okay no problems with the kid english like is fine and kids you know solid you know like a b student whatever you know great normal mm -hmm. kid whatever uh and and you know different interests and everything and then this amazing supportive parent that's somebody i want in my school definitely mm -hmm. i would mm -hmm. i would rather that than have this super high flyer kid and this challenging work with parent. <laughs> Seriously, because yeah, there's got to be trust and there's got to be working together. We're all we all want the same thing for the kid, yeah. And 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 if there's no understanding of what the IB is and desire to understand, just a perspective that my kid is smart and must go to Harvard somehow, um, and what you guys are doing is not going to get them there without really even an attempt to understand. That's not a good relationship. That's not a good fit for our school. Wow. Yeah, that's that's something that I think um, more and more I've, I've learned to appreciate, you know, especially over this year, talking to some of the parents and getting to know their perspective. It's something that, you know, I guess as, as a student, when I was a student, my parents talked to teachers and I was aware of that as a, as a, as a young student, but I wasn't thinking about it like proactively, like maybe there are ways that we can all work together and, and improve, you know, what I'm doing. Um, I think as to some extent, it's not, you know, I wouldn't expect all students to think that way. But on the other hand, I think to some extent, the students live up to the bars that we set for them, right? If we, if we say you can reach this point um, or you can go up here, you know, and maybe you move out of the frame a little bit and, and achieve something that nobody expects, you know, I think some students really take that to heart. Um, so I'm kind of hoping in, to see more of that uh, in the future, especially here in China, people thinking a little more about how they can really maximize their potential. Cool. I, I was sort of, there's a question in there somewhere, but <laughs> I, I was kind of hoping to ask, um, if you were to talk to a student that's kind of having you know, maybe some difficulties, having trouble uh, with academics or the social life of the school, uh, what would you say to them to kind of help them get back on track or, or what have you? 
Well, I, I think the conversation always, always needs to start from, um, you know, how, what's going on and, you know, what are you, what are you struggling with and how, how can we help? And what, you know, what I think about doing that for students or, or teachers is what are the hurdles? What are the barriers that are, that impeding your progress and how can I help remove them or give you a technique or whatever to get to overcome them? You know, I, I've started doing all these calls, you know, we tried to give people a fair window of opportunity and grace period with the online learning about, you know, turning in work on time and stuff like that. And, and then, and then, you know, and then I got to do my job as a principal of chase people down and all that. And, you know, when I'm approaching these calls, you know, I could go two ways, you know, I could come in with guns blaring, you know, dude's got to get it going and da, da, da. It's, but I, I actually approached it the other way. Like, okay, so what's going on and, and, you know, how can we help? You know, do, do you have the right schedule? Do you have the IT connection? Uh, have, you, have you overcome those problems? I know there were some problems. Um, are you, you know, having trouble connecting? Is there like community, like internet issues at your house? Is there, you know, is the eight o'clock in the morning zoom time not working out for you? Like what can we look yeah. at in your routine? all those kind of things and just sort of approaching it as a partnership rather than, you know, an us against you. And, you know, it's, it's much slower, you know, the 40 minute free thing for zoom sometimes runs out with these calls. Um, But the the parents appreciate it. The students who attend them appreciate them too, because they know it's coming from a a place of, of, of mutual, you know, we all want the same thing. We got to, if we're not rowing in the same direction, we're going to end up spinning all over the place. So, um, you know, we, at the end of the day, we, we got to, you know, we got to have it's school. And if you're not attending or you're not turning in work, those two things are what are the meter right now, as far as your attendance to school, attending to live yeah. sessions and turning in work. And if you're not doing it, it's not good. Um, yeah. and, and yet at the same time, this is a really stressful time for a lot of people. And a lot of people have a lot of things going on. There's businesses failing. There's, you know, if you look at what's happening in people's houses right now, um, divorce rates are up, domestic abuse is up. Um, You know, these are just the tip of the iceberg. And if you think about the iceberg, it's, it's huge. Right. And we only see that little 10, 15% of it and the rest is underneath. So, you know, I'm constantly trying to think about that with these calls and you know when i'm talking to teachers who are you know behind on their attendance of the zoom or whatever you know like it's just everybody's going through lots right now it's tough yeah i well i think keeping an open mind and being compassionate and showing that you know we're all in this together especially as a school you know that that's something that people pick up and they they remember that lesson you know, beyond the the crisis and into, you know, when they go out and they uh, work in a company or they have a family themselves. So I think it's really good for them to know that that support structure is there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Chris, I think we're uh, about running out of time here, but it's okay. been really great talking to you. And uh, I love this background. It's kind of mesmerizing. So uh, <laughs> cool. I, I wanted to give you a chance to, you know, shout out any causes or anything you'd like to plug if you're working on a project or just uh, final closing thoughts, if you have any. Oof. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to really 
support anything publicly or, or, or whatnot. There's so many good causes out there. Um, I'm a big fan in, in, you know, doing, doing something locally, but thinking globally, you know, and, and seeing how that can, so those grassroots things, we, you know, got a ton of things going on in our school with our community projects, with the ninth graders. And then we have other ones that are not official, but we're still trying to get them done with, you know, six, seven and stuff like that. And, you know, so it would be unfair to pick one, uh, but there's lots of good things going on. And, and, and uh, you know, I just hope that everybody is keeping that kind of thing in mind as well. Um, I, I, everybody's different schools. And, and if, if you can help in some way with people suffering in the, the, through the circumstances of the coronavirus, it, it'd be great. You know, all our projects started back in September. So, they're probably nothing to do with the coronavirus circumstance. They're just good community service projects and stuff like that, you know, but um, yeah, it, it, there's lots of people who need help right now. It's tough. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you all for listening. That has been my conversation with Chris Irvin, NYP principal of Nanshan International School in Shenzhen. And I really enjoyed talking to him. I think uh, in particular, right at the end, he's talking about, like, we need to do what we can, each of us, to try to make something positive out of this coronavirus situation. And um, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I recorded this a couple weeks ago, and I had, you know, banked a couple episodes just to be on the safe side. Of course, I haven't been able to do the editing in time any of these recent weeks, so I'm not sure what the point of banking the episodes was in that sense. <laughs> but uh, aside from that and all my technical issues, which some of which are getting kind of solved-ish now, um, the reason I started this podcast was to help people. And I think um, talking to people like Chris gives me even more sense that I should be doing this and I should be um, focusing my spare time on projects like this because they represent what I want to stand for in my professional and personal life, you know? Um, one thing that Chris seems to provide for his school is someone that can be talked to reasonably, you know? And, and you might think, okay, well, what's so great about that? The truth is a lot of schools don't have that voice of reason in a, in a position of power. They have people who are used to getting their way, people who are used to managing or micromanaging, but they don't have somebody who can be empathetic, who can uh, work with people um, at their own level, at their own speed, their own pace, their own learning style. All these things that we learn about as teachers, the differentiation required and all the ways we can kind of make these fine-tuned adjustments. Um, you know, it's, it's a real process and it's something that takes so much time and energy that I think a lot of people maybe don't necessarily um, commit to it as much as they should in schools. And I can tell Chris has done that and probably will continue to do that, which is great. And an inspiration for me because I want to be that type of person. I don't want to end up on the, the wrong side of the equation where I'm the man, you know, just barking orders at people and getting mad about minutia. 
So anyways, <laughs> not to wax philosophical or what have we, um, I really appreciate you guys listening, and I appreciated uh, Chris coming on and talking to me. Um, and I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, this has been This Is a Moment. <laughs>